every story has some kind of turning point, doesn't it? Whether it's a dramatic movie twist, you just know from that moment on things are going to be all right. And uh, I don't know, if, if you were to run your finger all the way through Luke chapter 15 verses 11 to 32 in particular, I wonder what you would see as the turning point. I think probably for most of us, you would come to the, the boy who's in the far country and uh, as we often tell the story, his friends have deserted him, he's penniless. And then we read as he sits in the pigsty, ah, he comes to his senses. Maybe we think that that is the key part, that he'll trudge home and apply for a job from his father and say, look, father, I haven't been much of a son. I've blown the family inheritance, but I'm quite content and quite happy to work for you as a slave for the rest of my days. I confess that I probably have explained this passage in that way and he came to his senses that it was a light bulb moment for the son and in some ways there is a certain truth to that but it's interesting in neither of the other two parables for example the sheep does not suddenly think meh I need to get back to the shepherd and the farm neither does that little coin suddenly say oh I'll need to kind of wriggle myself out from under the dust just under the settee there and make myself available to be found. It's not that any of these lost things of their own volition can find their way home. Again, Glenn Scrivener is very helpful in this. He says, no, if you ask me, a lost son truly returning to father is as likely as a lost sheep trotting back to its pen or a lost coin hopping back into a purse. In verse 17, we see the prodigal coming to his senses. That's true. But really, you could translate that he came to himself. That's who he's really turning to. Not his father, not God himself. And it's interesting, as you read on, you come to verse 18 and you realise that he, he prepares this speech that he's going to give to his dad in verse 18 there. I've sinned against heaven and against you. It's actually a very famous apology from elsewhere in the Old Testament. It's the same words that Pharaoh uses in Exodus chapter 10 and verse 16. But of course, Pharaoh's repentance lasted only a matter of hours. He had been subjected to all those plagues and he just cries out, I've sinned against heaven against you, but within a matter of hours, he's turned his back again and refuses to let God's people go. The prodigal uses the same words as Pharaoh. It was out of his mouth thinking that it might solve a bit of a sticky issue for a little while, but that's not really where his heart was at. So here in the far country, the prodigal devises a pigsty plan to make some half-hearted Pharaoh repentance. Father, I know I've kind of blown it, but I'm back. I'm kind of sorry. Uh, will you take me back? I'll be a servant for you. Uh, anyway, the slave's quarters are better than a pigsty. But no, the turning point of the story is verse 20. Let me read it to you. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Before the father has even heard a word of apology, he has bolted out the door, he's run up the front drive, he covers his son in kisses, and notice how the father cut his son off in verse 21. 
make me like one of your hired servants. And the father has none of it. It's, uh, 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 that's enough, son. He shouts, bring the best robe. Get a ring for his fingers. Sandals for his feet. Let's kill the fatted calf. Let's celebrate. Before this sorry speech comes out of his mouth, that was only half-hearted anyway. What brings him home? What brings him home? It's the dad. By running out to meet him, putting his arm around his shoulders, kissing him, embracing him, bringing him in his arms all the way home. The father reconciles the son. The son's still stinking of pigsty, but filled with compassion. And you see, dignified, middle-aged, Middle Eastern men did not run. That was not what they would do. They would have looked ridiculous. It was unfathering. Running was the kind of thing that mums did, running after their little ones. That was not in the ancient Near Eastern culture, all this hitching up of his robes, running and hugging and kissing. In fact, when we really lifted up, it made him look like, like, like a lady lifting her skirt up, running for her little baby who was in trouble. And so this motherly father, if you like, robes the boy with the best robe, which would be his robe. Puts the ring on a finger, which was a sign of authority and responsibility. Puts sandals on his feet. Servants never wore sandals. And he kills the fatted calf, which would have fed hundreds of people. And the father expensively and joyfully invites the sinner right back in through the front door, right to the heart of that family again. Now the boy is safe and sound. Have you ever thought about that word prodigal? We usually refer it to the son, don't we? The one who'd gone into the wild, far country and squandered it in wild living. But the word prodigal means wasteful, almost to the point that this is ridiculous, giving so much and spending so much. But I think in this story, as Tim Keller reminded us a few years ago, it's a prodigal God that we read about. One who pours himself out in grace that was so undeserved, comes racing to our rescue, comes right down to the point of our pitiful half-hearted sorries weren't even going to make up for it. No amount of repentance or tears will make up for the depth of our sin in the far country. But the prodigal God, others look at it and think he's wasteful, pouring out such love, giving his son the very best he could give, and letting him die on the cross instead of his people? That seems wasteful. What a prodigal God. But no, this God lets his son go to the far country. Where his back is turned. And he enters not just a pigsty. But he enters into the darkest, most hellish place in this world. And he dies. Bearing all our sin. The turning point is not when the boy comes to his senses. The turning point comes but God being rich in mercy. Even though we were still sinners, he sent the son into this world to die for us. And we read in verse 27, those who come into the father's arms are safe and sound. The phrase communicates security and wealth. And wholeness. Don't you see the father? Don't you see his outstretched arms of love? Longing to embrace and kiss you. He's the one. And him alone. Who can bring us home.